What a great uh, turnout this morning. So, you know, Pastor Mark, I think we've discovered the key to getting a good attendance. Just announce you're leaving. Um, so we'll decide who's going to step away next week. And then uh, the week after that, we'll probably start kind of low on the totem pole and work our way up. So, uh, no, I really appreciate you guys. I love this church, man. I mean, here we are in this series. I mean, what a great way to go out, right? I love my church, or as the youth say it, I heart love my church. Uh, they like to make a little joke because, you know, the heart emoji means love. So we kind of we doubled up on the love. But that's all right. We, we love it that much, right? We got two kinds of love going on, so it's good. Um, today's kind of our fourth and uh, final Sunday in this series. And uh, appropriately, the title of this morning's message is, My Church is the Hope of the World. And uh, so if there was ever a drop the mic kind of message, it would be, My Church is the Hope of the World. Ba-bam, right? So I, uh, I get to preach that this morning. Um, and walk off graciously and gratefully. And uh, I do love my church. I was thinking yesterday as I was mowing the lawn, or as I like to call it, meditating over my lawn. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's like the one time of the week where I get to really just kind of be silent in my thoughts. You know, I think it's the sound of the mower drowns out everything else. And my mind just kind of begins to wonder and uh, wander and all that. And um, I was talking with my wife afterwards, and she said, so what have you been thinking lately? And I said, well, just an hour ago when I was mowing the yard, this is kind of what I was thinking. And Really what I was thinking is just how blessed uh, I am in my life and how blessed our family is um, to have so many relationships, just to have such an incredibly large community of people um, that we do life with. And uh, everyone in this room is a part of that in some way, shape, or form. And so just want you to know that when I say I love my church, what I really mean is I love you guys very much. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I don't want to talk about it now or I might start crying again like a big weepy man. And so uh, I want to get through the message first. So as I mentioned, today's title, My Church is the Hope of the World, and, um, you know, here's the deal, okay? The church is supposed to be the hope of the world. Now, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes we, we get that a little messed up, right? Sometimes the church becomes about everything else, and we lose sight of, of the mission that we have to be the hope of the world. And, and I will say that I have served, this is now my fifth church um, serving at in 17 years of ministry. And um, I will say that I would give Anderson Hills an A++ rating. So I don't know if we can go online and do that or not, but if we can, you know, um, I would give us an A++ rating in this category. I feel like the focus has always been and remains in the right place here. I feel like this is a body of believers who keep their focus in the right place, and that is that we, the church, are to be the hope of the world. And I want to begin this morning with a passage of Scripture. This is from uh, the letter of 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And Peter writes, he says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So I'm going to go a little old school today, and I'm going to kind of break this passage down into three parts, right? Three is the magic preacher number, and so uh, we're just going to break this down into three parts. And the first part is that very first sentence where Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
What does that mean? What does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? Well, to revere someone is to admire them, to cherish them, to worship them. So I think, you know, the first thing I would say is what, what in your life do you revere? What in your life do you truly cherish? Do you admire the most? What in your life has become your source of worship? Because Peter tells us that first, foremost, and only, the thing that we worship, the thing that we revere, has to be Jesus Christ. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all what? Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Let's say those together. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So it only makes sense that the first thing we have to do is revere Christ in our hearts. I gotta get my priorities straight. I gotta get things in order, the pro- their proper order. The second thing that Paul says, and the one that I want us to spend the majority of our time on this morning, is he says to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. All right, I want to read another passage of Scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul writes, he says, His intent was that now, through the church, this is Jesus, Jesus' intent was now, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So it was Christ's intention all along that it be through the church that the world would come to know God, that the world would come to know Jesus Christ. If you were to read the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, as so many of us have, you would hear Jesus' commission to his disciples to go and what? Make more disciples. The church serves a lot of purpose. The church is here for fellowship and community. At Anderson Hills, we call that kind of the come, right? The come, grow, and the go, the come. The church is here for worship, discipleship, ministry. That's the grow. That's where you and your relationship with Christ are being built up. But the primary purpose for which the church exists, what it is, is to bring the truth of Jesus and his finished work on the cross to the world. Here at Anderson Hills, we refer to that as the go. Now, if I'm being truly honest with you and truly transparent, I will say that a lot of times, on a lot of days, I have the come and the go down pat. In fact, I've almost always got the come down pat. Okay, I grew up in a home where, you know, we were very religious and it was church on Sunday and that was it and you didn't make any excuses and you went. Right? And the come part of fellowship and being with other believers and that community that I talked about earlier, man, that's easy. Like, people who, aren't, who don't want that, aren't looking for that, like, I look at them strangely because I'm like, that's, that's what keeps me going. You know, that's what fills up my tank. The grow part, pretty good at that, right? Like, attending worship, being a part of corporate worship, being in a small group, being in Bible study, reading my word, praying, things like that, things that are helping to, to, to grow me in my relationship with God. The go, on the other hand, has at times in my life been a struggle for me. Like, Matt, it's not just about you. Oh, you know, like, I forgot about that. I forgot it wasn't just about me. It's about all those people around you, all those people who are doing life 
in the circles that you run and in the neighborhood where you live and at the grocery store where you shop and at the restaurant where you eat and at the school where you attend. It's, it's about all of them. And it's about whether or not they even have knowledge of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You need to be cueing them in on that, right? That's the go part. And perhaps that is the most significant thing that God has called us to be about. The most available extension and proof of God's faithfulness is the life and testimony of the saints. It's you. It's your story. Each believer, every believer, has more than enough life to share with others and more than enough light to share and to shine for Jesus. God has proven to be faithful to us all, giving us stories of miracles and breakthroughs. We've heard uh, some of those stories via video across the, the length of the summer as people have shared about their various walks with Christ and things that God has done. Sharing those with others um, brings hope to a despairing world. How many of you have ever sat around the water cooler at work or the coffee um, pot or, or, you know, in the break room or whatever, and listen to people's stories. Listen to the hurt that is in people. Listen to the, to, the, to the anger that sometimes exists in the lives of people. Guess what? You have a, a source of light that you can bring to those people, and his name is Jesus Christ. The problem is, again, Sometimes we as the church, we get, we get off mission, we get off task, and we forget that that's a part of who we're called to be, and so we fail to share, and we fail to open, and we fail to talk about it. But we are, in fact, the ones who are to bring hope. We are the hope bringers. We look at a world that sometimes lacks hope, and we say, why? Why does it lack so much hope? And it's because we have it, and we're not sharing it. We are to be Christ's ambassadors. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that ministry of reconciliation is ours. We have it. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so we, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we're ambassadors. Um, my, I think it was my sophomore or junior year in college, I had the opportunity to step up and be what was called an, an ambassador um, at the University of the Cumberlands. And what that meant was that probably once, maybe sometimes twice a week, I would be called to come up to the admissions office, meet with a prospective student, like a you know, high school junior or senior who was there visiting, and walk with them and their family, kind of take them around campus, um, show them the rope, show them kind of what was going on. And the whole, but the real point of that meeting was for me, during my walk with them, to be sharing my personal experience at the University of the Cumberlands. Like, this is this is how I have benefited from the school. These, this is kind of my story, my journey here. And they chose individuals who they know, knew would share those stories in such a way that it would intrigue the people who we were walking around and, and that they might grow more interested in attending the school someday, right? And so I was an ambassador for the University of the Cumberlands. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're to kind of meet with people and walk with them and do life with them, and share our stories, 
and our testimonies and the impact that Christ has made in our life in hopes that they may want to become Christ followers as well. So what is your story of hope? What is your story of healing? Now, this is my last Sunday here, so I have the opportunity to kind of do whatever I want. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, somebody said, well, what are they going to do, fire you? Um, so what I want us to do this morning, this might peek you a little out of your comfort zone, but oh well. Um, so I'm just going to give you like one minute, and in all seriousness, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I just want you to share one example of, of God's hope and healing in your life. Something that God has done for you. It could have been 30 years ago. But some way, some testimony, some example of, of Christ's healing and hope in your life. Okay, can you do that? Can you just share real quick? Just swap stories. Go ahead and partner up. Swap stories. I want to hear this room loud, all right? Now, church, I'm just going to tell you that that, that from up here, very impressive. Imagine if the 350 people in this room were to go out this afternoon and to share those same stories. But not with other believers, not with other people who know you and know your heart and know your story already, but with people who don't know. They don't know you. They don't know Jesus. And they lack hope. Right? That's, that's what it's to be. It's to be a, a people of God, a movement of God, going out and sharing their stories. Give a reason for the hope that we profess. The third and final thing that Paul tells us to do is that when we give that answer, he says to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I'll say this is one of those areas where the church has gotten it a little thwarted, too. Um, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on, pick on a guy here today. I'm not here, but uh, I'm going to pick on our little street corner evangelist down here, Anderson Town Center. You know what I'm talking about? You know, yeah, you know, see, you know who I'm talking about. So he's got one thing right. He's getting the message out there. The problem is he's not doing it with gentleness, and he's not doing it with respect. And he's not doing it in a way that it honors and glorifies Christ. And guys, sometimes the loudest Christian voices in our world are voices that, oh, yeah, they're sharing. But you know what I'm saying? It's not being done in a way that it's able to be received by anyone. It's just turning people off. I mean, somebody comes to that in need of hope, that's not going to be good. Now, in no way are we to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So we're not to be ashamed. We're to share. But there's a way that we are to share. And we have an incredible story for you this morning um, via video of two men in this congregation who I think, have got it figured out. Watch this. It was a Saturday in August of 2017, and my family was scheduled to, to, to get together with the Davis family that night with Trent and Kayla and their family. When Trent called me that afternoon and told me that he had to cancel, uh, apparently he had met a homeless person downtown 
uh, that day while they were down at the banks, and he was taking him supplies. And I'd noticed a guy sitting on a rock reading a book, and I just felt a prompting to have a discussion with him. And so I walked over and I talked to him about the book, and um, we started a conversation, and he had mentioned to me um, uh, that uh, he, he lived around the city there in a tent and that he was homeless. And soon after, my wife had signaled that it was time to go, and I started walking away, and I just started to feel the Holy Spirit start to talk to me and say, you need to go back. And I ignored it, and I kept walking. And we'd gotten really far out of the park by now, and that was enough. I just um, needed to go back. I just prayed for him there on the spot, and we both cried, um, but just put my hand on his shoulder, and he's sitting there on the same rock, and, um, and he shared with me that living in the tent was hard, and ran back home and started running through the store like a madman. I knew we had plans that night with our, our friends for dinner, and um, told Kayla that I wasn't going to be able to make it, and so I was going to go downtown and take a duffel bag of supplies to Jamie. And so we went back down there that night. We met him at the yard house around 8 o'clock that evening and um, just gave him the supplies and loved on him and hugged him. Um, we prayed with him and just wished him the best. Well, the following Tuesday, I was at work. I worked downtown, um, and I knew that he was homeless, um, and I thought during my lunch break, maybe I'd go out and look for him, and the Lord actually led me directly to where he was sitting, um, outside of Penn Station. And so um, I grabbed him and I asked him if he wanted to go to lunch that day, and he was actually holding up his sign and uh, flying, as they call it. Um, I think I prayed with him again and just blessed him and wished him well, and that started a relationship with, uh, with me and Jamie and with Trent. Um, so we would go down regularly downtown and check up on him and, and try to do whatever we could to help him, to give him encouragement, to give him guidance and counsel, and uh, he ended up getting a job. So we were really excited, right? Because we've tried before to pour into people and it, it you know, never worked out, but this one seemed to have so much hope that this man could actually turn his life around. And then over the next couple months, it was just a series of jobs uh, that came and went. He worked at Amazon in the factory. He got a job in an Airheads factory. Um, so the jobs just seemed to come and go and, and things just never really panned out to a point where he could make it uh, to a stable point in his life. Then in April, uh, April 13th, Friday, April 13th, I went out on my lunch break and unbeknownst to me, I saw him uh, holding his sign up again that he was, he was still out in the streets and the job, the most recent job that he had um, hadn't worked out. And I, there's something that just rises up in my spirit and has had enough. And so I asked Jamie if I can pray over him and I just start praying and my spirit just rose up and I'm proclaiming out in the streets of downtown Cincinnati favor over his life and that something would shift and change. And I remember after the prayer, I looked at Jamie and I said, did you feel that? I said, something just shifted in your life. It changes today. Well, the very next day, Saturday, April 14th, Jamie was arrested. And come to find out that the entire story that he had told us was a lie. Um, he had never interviewed for a job. He never had a job. He wasn't on the streets for six months in a tough spot. He was on the streets for over six years. And most of the money that we gave him was used to buy heroin to feed his addiction. Typically in the past, I think I would have been very offended by that, that, that somebody had tried to lie and, and take advantage of. But because of just the, the, the presence of the Lord, all I could feel was God's heart towards Jamie. I wasn't offended by anything he did. I wasn't offended by his lying, his cheating, his stealing, his drug use. I wasn't offended by any of it. All I could feel was God's heart for him. And so I felt the Lord told me to go to jail and visit with him. 
Um, and so I did. It was May 1st, a couple weeks after he was arrested. I'm just praying. I'm saying, God, what do I say to Jamie? What do I say to this man? And I hear very clearly in my head, I want you to tell him that he has value. And so I wait in jail. Um, I go in and I didn't know what to expect, but it's exactly like what you see in the movies. There's a screen and there's phones on both sides. And so he comes up and uh, he sits down in the chair and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing here? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, God told me to come here and tell you that you have value. And he started breaking down and crying because I think he just felt the Lord's forgiveness. And so he just came clean and started repenting and telling me all the things that he had done wrong. And I stopped him in the middle of it. And I told him, you're forgiven. I, God's forgiven you. It's all done. It's all past. Give your life to the Lord. So he was in jail for about two months. Um, and then he was released um, into a rehab program. And um, we continued to maintain touch. And then in February of this year, um, he gave his life to the Lord and was baptized. And now he's over a year clean. Um, he's got two jobs. He's steady. He's got a house. Um, he's restored relationships. He's cleaned up all of his criminal offenses. And he's on a new trajectory. He's a new man. I was honest with him. I told him I used his money for heroin, that I'm a heroin addict. And, um, you know, and I and he doesn't know this, but I've shared to many people that his, this man's expression didn't change one time. He didn't get angry. He didn't, he didn't change one time. And we had a nice conversation. And on top of that, after I told him I used all his money for heroin, he actually uh, put money in my book so I could get some better food. And, uh, and that meant a lot. There is no lost causes. I'm a miracle. You know, um, I have no doubt in my mind that I'm a miracle. Within the first few days, I, I surrendered. And um, that's when I feel like my God, my, my eyes were opened up. God is the answer. Um, he's been my answer. And uh, I didn't want to believe it at first. You know, I fought a tooth and nail for lots and lots of years. Um, but uh, like I said, I lay my head down at night knowing that I'm at peace with my creator. And I can never repay God back, these guys back. Um, but what I can do is by my actions in the future, help somebody else. And every day I ask for his will. And I believe that's what it is because um, this is real. Darn you guys, <laughs> trying to preach a sermon up here. You know, there's a reason that I've given 17 years of my life to the local church. There's a reason why I'm now joining up with an organization that is going to take the local church into public schools. And it's because I believe in the church. 
The church has something to offer and extend that is not available anywhere else. The church has someone to offer that no one else has. His name is Jesus. And he is the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. As people who have received the amazing grace of God through Jesus Christ, and as people who look forward to spending eternity with him, we are God's perfect choice for sharing hope with the world. But listen up, church. How we share it matters. It does. Brian and Trent refused to give up on a guy that the world would have given up on. Brian and Trent refused to give up on a guy who had probably given up on himself. But as the church, we are called to never give up on people. We are called to never count people out. Never. What we are called to is love. Let's pray. God, I don't even know where to start. Where to begin? Lord, I feel as if in this moment we all need to just fall to our knees and cry out to you. Shouts of thanksgiving, of praise, of adoration, of worship. God, you are majestic. You are awesome. And God, your love for us, there's no comparison. But God, your work is not finished in this world. And it's not finished in us. We are to come. We are to grow. But we are also to go. And so, God, we just pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to go and to encounter and to not give up on people. God, this world needs Jesus. Lord, you see it in the paper, you see it on the television, you see it in the internet, God, you see it everywhere. A world that is lost, a world that is lonely, a world that is in despair and that is hopeless. And the answer to that world and what that world needs, it doesn't lie within our government doesn't lie within the legal system, God. It lies within the pages of the gospel. It's the good news about a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Help us at Anderson Hills to be the hope of the world. Amen.